0: So one thing, this is not on the announcements, but I want to bring your attention. I know some of you guys have to bring your kids in here because there was no room in the inn for your kids, um, and and so forth. Uh, with that, just a plug: if you've ever thought about serving with kids, and some people say, "Well, that's not my calling." Okay, I think you should be called to go serve with kids, and so. That's just one man's opinion. And so we, we would definitely would love to have your help with our children's ministry so that not so we can get the kids out of here, um, so that they could be nurtured and, nurtured and grown in Jesus Christ, not in this room, so we could uh, have that opportunity. So second thing, more of a sober note, is uh, this past week, um, we lost someone really, really, really close to us. Um, Tom Schrader, who started East Valley Bible Church, which is Redemption Gilbert, and started Redemption Church as a whole. Um, friends of all of ours, my personal mentor, gave me my first opportunity in ministry. Um, passed away, and so it's been really sad. Um, for <clears throat> it's just been really sad, and so we do want to let you know there's a memorial service uh, this this weekend at Scottsdale Bible Church. Uh, and uh, yeah, someone asked how early do we need to get there? Uh, probably tonight. Uh, so so uh, yeah. That's I really said you pray for, for for Tom's wife and his his two daughters and, and son-in-laws and grandkids and family and, and all of us as uh as we as we mourn and also remember Tom. I mean there, there's the proverb that comes to mind that says, Better to be the place of mourning in the house of mourning than the house of laughter. Um, and I know when we gathered and the times that we've had gathered so far so far to remember Tom, we've had both mourning and laughter because that's the type of person that that Tom was. And so we were very thankful for his leadership and just who he was uh, as, a, as a human being, and so again, just be praying for, for that. All right, without further ado, we are going to jump into our series. Let me recap a little bit on what we've, what we've talked about. Um, so last week we started this series, we said it's going to be a 15-week series leading all the way up until Holy Week, Friday and Easter, and we're zeroing in on the person and the life of Jesus Christ. And so not necessarily just from a theological standpoint. So we said this is less about the head and more about the heart, um, less about our aptitude or ability, and more about our affections as they are set on Jesus. Uh, We believe that in our culture, it's very popular in religious circles and non-religious circles to be very spiritual. We just want a spirituality that is rooted in the person of Jesus. And that our lives are shaped by him. And so we get an opportunity to revisit Jesus during this series as we look at the ways in which Christ loved people. Or in other words, put his love on display that we may receive and to begin to reciprocate, to imitate, to mimic the love that we see in Christ Jesus. Um, I've never had a series that I've enjoyed more in preparation for my own, like my own soul. I mean, uh, sadly, and you guys are like this too, you hear something and immediately you think, oh, this is going to be good for somebody else. Um, i think that's the spirit's way of saying no 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 no. this is good for you uh so just think of it that way <laughs> and so that's what it's been for for me and so looking forward to the next several weeks on this and so we'll we'll look at that um there's a book that we stole the title from it uh, the name the name of the book is love walked among us just like the title of our series uh Paul Miller, who wrote the book, did some training for us, and we decided this still the title, and he's okay with it. Um, the book in itself, um, you can read alongside this series. I would say that it's not—we're not following the book, but there's some really, really good insights and stuff into the book as well. The hope would be that you, we don't just talk about this here as we gather, but that you would be with your roommates and friends and coworkers and neighbors and spouses and so forth. We'll be talking about how to mimic the ways of Jesus and His love throughout the week as we're being shaped by it. So, without further ado, let's pray and get into God's Word, Jesus. We come to you and we thank you that we can have life in you. Those of us who love you and know you, God, we pray that you would deepen our relationship with you and be far more shaped by you than all the many things that are constantly shaping us. All the sounds, all the noises, all the expectations, all the responsibilities, every different story that is trying to shape us to something other than being conformed to the image of Christ. We pray that we'd be centered on you. For those of us who have never trusted or believed in you, that by the Holy Spirit, you would reveal who you are in your saving, loving ways. Help us to continue to see your compassionate love on display as we look at the scriptures, as we see all that you have for us, God, in your son Jesus, um, that we can access by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father. I pray that you take our time and our thought and our emotion and our intellect, Lord, and you would bring them at the, at the feet of Christ, that we may worship you and exalt your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Man. So, before I became a pastor, some people ask me, what did you do before you were a pastor? It's like nothing. I was born a pastor. Right? I live right here all day long. Right? Um, I was an admissions counselor for ASU, which is a fancy title that I drove the dorky van around and convinced students to go to ASU, which, by the way, is not very hard. Um, and, and, and so, what, what would happen is if you, those of you, who, many of you guys work for ASU, so you can probably attest to this, but when you work for such a large um, institution, um, things change all the time. So they'll tell you, don't do your job like this. An email will come out the next week, only do it this way. An email will come out next week, and you're constantly changing. And what that, someone's like, come on, amen, I, I feel it, right? And the Lord tells us to humbly submit to that sort of leader. No, I'm so, so in this particular cubicle office space that I was in, people would just complain. And they'd complain left and right. And at the time, uh, we shared a car, my wife and I, she was working, we're living in Chandler, she was working in Litchfield Park, she'd come back from Litchfield, pick me up at ASU, I would jump in the car with her, um, she would get into the passenger seat, I would drive, and not because of some macho thing like I had to be a man to drive, she got in the passenger seat because she didn't want to be judged by me. So I would drive, and so we would get in the car and I would tell her about, like, my coworkers and how they complained about every single thing, right? I feel like complaining is like a, 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 like a pastime for Americans. It's like, let's get together. Let's complain. Um, you tell your friends. get with my friends. Like, we'll be friends. Like, that's just how we'll, we'll do this every weekend. So I get in the car with her, and one time she finally goes, do you ever notice that you get in the car and then you complain about your coworkers complaining, right? I pull over the car and I say, get out. No, I'm just joking. Here, 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 here's the reality. It's not just complaining. We naturally judge, right? Like, that is, like, we just, we just judge. Um, and In our particular time, we don't, like, we don't like to call sin, sin. It's, like, not common. It's not, some, people don't like it. However, we love judging, which, by the way, it's very sinful. And we will judge just about anything, right? We look at people who we perceive to be rich. And we say things like, well, you know, we judge them on the fact that, you know, they had more than other people. They were born on third base. Or we say something like that. Or we judge people who we perceive to be poor. We go, well, here's how they got there? They were lazy. They, they didn't take advantage of the situations and circumstances that came their way, right? We judge that. Or even in a more funny way, we, we, we love to, like, one of the simple ways it can happen is people love to judge other people's parenting, right? And, and usually base it off the behavior of their kids, right? You look at their kids and you go, hmm, huh. right? Whatever whatever you' may to go, right, and the, the way the pr- it, it works from a progressive standpoint is is you go those without kids are actually the best at parenting somehow um, and, and so they they love you, but you guys are so good at it uh, and they judge the people with kids, and then it goes from then people with kids also judge kids, just not their own. Um, they just judge other people 's kids, and then it goes to grandparents who by the way, love you the worst, but they do it in very. Passive-aggressive ways. They look at their grandkids, and they see you as a parent doing something different than what they did, and they go, oh, so you guys don't do that anymore. It seemed to work for you guys. Yeah. Right? Right? And it's just their way of going, what was wrong with our parenting? And it's a subtle way of going, we're just judging you. But it's fine. As long as you pick up the kids and give us a break, it's all good. So <laughs> we, we, we as a people, we find ourselves judging. In particular, in this story, what we're going to see is there's a a blind man who Jesus heals, right? Um, You already heard it read, so it's not like, oh, he gave it away, right? Um, But the story in itself is less about the miracle and more, again, as we said, about watching and seeing the ways in which Jesus loves. And it's a story on display of judging versus loving and how we go from people who are naturally judging to slowing down and being people by the Spirit and through the love of Christ, that we can begin loving people. And so if you're with me, chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to walk through again, 41 verses, and then look at Jesus' love on display um, when you begin to see the life of Christ. And before we do that, I want st- to I I start with this quote from Albert Einstein, right, who by no means ever said that he was a follower of Christ. But here's what he talks about as we think about Jesus. He goes, I'm a Jew, but I'm enthralled by the luminous, I can never say that word, how do you pronounce the word? by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. <laughs> Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrase however artful, no man can read the gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. With that, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in Siloam, which means sense. And he went and washed and came back seeing. So here's the people in this story, right? The people in this story, you have jesus right captain obvious there you have the disciples you have the jews or the pharisees these were the religious do-gooders of the day and then you have this man who was born blind and it starts off here what we see is that you see the different responses to this particular man Um, this man who was born blind we don't have his name Um, john doesn't record that for us we just know that here's a man who's blind, what we know is that being that he has a disability in that particular culture, not completely unlike our culture, that he was pushed to the margins, um, was on the, on, on the outskirts, so to say, outskirts, so to say, of, of culture. And so when you see the way the disciples and Jesus respond to him, judging versus love, y- you see the differences. One, when the disciples see him, one, they don't actually acknowledge him. They begin talking about him in front of him. Dude's blind, doesn't mean he can't hear, right? Jesus, it says, and if we go too fast, we won't even notice it. Verse 1, it says, he passed by and he saw the blind man. If you can recall from last week, what we saw is that before compassion comes, we're suffering with people, alongside people, that seeing happens. That you slow down, you would, you notice, you acknowledge, you see the person that's before you. Jesus sees him, the disciples don't. The the disciples see an opportunity for a theological debate, but Jesus doesn't. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what we know. The questions that they ask, they they ask the question, all right, Jesus, um, because this is what happens with people who want to be heady people without a heart. These are followers of Christ, like us, who want to read books and theological books and doctrinal books and know everything about the Bible, which, by the way, is a very good thing. But if it doesn't filter into our heart, then it just becomes head knowledge. And there's plenty of Christians who love just to debate about theological situations that probably they've never been in. If theology doesn't lead to flesh and blood and action and love and touch, then it's a theology that is not rooted and centered in the person of Jesus. If it's only something to be debated and discussed but never lived, then it's not helpful, right? I heard one person say this, what you have in doctrine and theology is basically like powdered milk. That if you don't apply water, then it's not drinkable. If this theology and doctrine is not applied to the waters of our life, then what is it for? See, these guys—they want to be able to talk about these things. They want to be—who like, was it? Okay, Jesus. Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus' re- response is neither. But we gotta understand something. One, we gotta understand that this whole idea of being kind—that is something that is, is shaped our culture because of Christianity. Like, like we as believers and people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Most people go, when you see act of kindness, that's a good thing. You don't see people go, is he being kind? Oh, look at the hater, right? No, right? They, first century, being kind was was seen as inefficient. Like, move along. Um, So Jesus being kind, that would have been like, wait, what is he doing? The second thing is, when it came to disabilities or suffering in general, is that people would go, um, it's a result of sin, either by the person or somebody in their life. Like, it couldn't just be as a result of the brokenness of our world. And so the way that they reacted or responded to God is different than the way that we act and respond to God in similar situations. Here's what I mean first century people because they believed about a holy god and they believed in themselves being broken or sinful whether they believed in Yahweh the god of the universe the god of the bible or multiple deities there was a sense of being being higher and us being lower that when circumstances happened they would blame themselves and there would be guilt what did i do current modern culture because we have this sense of like extreme innocence That if anything happens to us negatively or there's suffering or pain, we don't blame ourselves. We immediately, the uh, emotion is not guilt, it's anger, and it's usually directed towards God. Like, how could he ever do this? Um, Neither are, not to say wrong or right, they're emotions in which we're responding. we got to find ourselves um, a home in the person in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The disciples see it as an opportunity, again, to be able to debate. Jesus is an opportunity to be able to move closer. They see this opportunity as a moment they judge, and Jesus sees it as an opportunity to love. So he moves in closer to this man. Notice, he never says, Jesus, is that you? Can you heal me? As we we see in other stories. He never says that. Jesus moves, he sees, he has compassion, he moves in closer to this man. And just like last when we talked about the woman who was the widow, that when Jesus raised her son, he was not only changing her life, but sociologically, right, changing her life, Um, financially changing her life. This man who's on the the edges, on the margins, if Jesus heals this man, his life is about to radically change. Not because he can see physically, though that's amazing, because spiritually he can. And so Jesus moves near to him, and he says, okay, I'm going to heal you. Now, this is where it kind of gets weird, because Jesus could have said, be healed, But Jesus, again, I don't know why, and um, neither the gospel of John doesn't let us know, but he spits onto the ground. This is the way he does things in this particular situation. He spits onto the ground, and some people say, well, it's because we were formed from the dust, and I mean, okay, you can say that, and it's true. John doesn't say that. All we know is he spits on the ground, takes the mud, and then puts it on the blind man. By the way, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning this is what happened— This is not what you should do. Come here, come here, come here. (sighs) Right? No. So he does it, and he tells him, okay, I want you to go down here to Siloam, which means sit, wash your eyes, and go. And the man was healed. And so we see that Jesus heals this man. Like I said before, this is not necessarily a message about the miracle. What we're going to see what happens after this is this is far more a message about judging versus loving. Now, I would be remiss not to say something here. Um... This story is told a lot, and when it comes to suffering, when it comes to disabilities, when it comes to things like this, um, most of us who are a neurotypical, able-bodied people, like we don't know how to respond to people, right? And here's what we can learn from: we can learn from children. Um, sometimes we think children are annoying in this particular sense, but they're just honest and they're curious. Like if you saw a child, if there was a child. And there was a, a blind man or a woman or so forth. The child would go, hey, why has he got a cane on him? What are those shades? What are that? And as, as adults, we don't know what to are shh, shh, be quiet. Be quiet. And it's like, they're curious. And the reason why we tell them to be quiet is because it's, it makes it awkward. And so what we end up doing, instead of judging, we do, the, we do a, something that's not even the opposite, but it's a different form. We just ignore it. Like, shh, be quiet. Like, don't even acknowledge it. All right? And there's a person who goes to Redemption Alhambra, one of our other congregations. He was born blind at birth and is still blind, and he wrote this incredible document that, uh, that he allowed us to read about this particular passage. And what he talked about is what happens is most people don't know what to do in this situation. And so naturally what Christians will do is just they'll pray for healing. What's well, nothing wrong with that. He goes, but that's all they can do. And he goes, and sometimes I'm like, don't pray for healing. Just talk to me. Um, And not that I don't want God to heal me, but that may not be what God is talking about here when he says in verse 3 that God's glory and his works may be displayed. Maybe it's not just the miracle of healing, maybe it's to understand that this is another human being with dignity and value and purpose, and watch what he or she can do. It's amazing. And so what that means is, it's not that we should be overly impressed and going like, okay, the only way I can relate to you now is like, wow, I can't believe you can do that in spite of this. I can't believe you can do that in spite of this. I can't believe that you can do, because every single one of us, our life at some level is difficult. It may not be the same as others, but in your own body, it's difficult for you. And you don't necessarily need to be praised, you need to be loved, you need to be seen, you need to be honored for the things you do, for sure. But everybody needs to relate to other people as co-image bearers created in the image of God. So that's important. Um, I would even go as far as not just disabilities, when it comes to the the spectrum that we think through of um, mental health illness and mental illness and mental health is oftentimes we want people to just get healed. And for whatever reason, God is not doing it. How do we actually remain alongside our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers and spouses and friends and so forth who are just in it, even when it's a mess, right? Tom Schrader, who I talked about earlier, said, He'd always say this, he had a lot of phrases, but one of them was, God actively causes or allows all things for our good and his glory. The thing about it is, I think we've forgotten that God is the one who's ultimately going to get the glory. (laughs) Not necessarily, and he's not just most concerned for our safety or us just being comfortable in the ways that we describe comfort. Amen? No, that wasn't in my notes. Let's get back to this, right? Verse 8, he says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. And so they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said to them, I don't know. So this guy's just like, no one's like, dude, you can see. This is amazing. Like, i'm the guy who used to hang out with you this is what i look like he's like this is what you look like you look better when i was blind right and so like there's there like no one's celebrating this so like wait are you you he goes yeah this is me no it can't be you he goes no it's me are you sure it's you yeah it's me then what happened he goes this dude jesus came by he's spinning the mud and all of a sudden he put mud on my eyes I'm like hey, that's rude but then all of a sudden i washed my eyes and now i can see he goes okay where he's at he goes and now I could not see earlier, so I don't know where he went, right? And so they're, they're, asking, they're asking him all these questions, but think about it. They're not, they're still analyzing. They're not loving. That's what judging always does. Like what's going on? What's happening? What's this? Let's get all the facts. Wait a minute. There is a man who's in front of you that you know was blind and now sees. Celebrate. Like celebrate. Like that's, that's a good thing. Nope, not these guys. Continuing. Verse 13, and then they brought him to the Pharisees. It couldn't have gone worse, right? Some of us in this room, we are ideas people. Some of us in this room, you are ideas killers, or you have discernment, right? And so, so and you know, you know what it's like, and not, one's not better than the other. You know what it's like when you bring an idea to somebody and you come, you're all excited. You are, right, think about this, imagine this, can you picture this? And the person goes, oh, here's 18 things that I can think about. And you immediately just walk away and go, hmm, I should have told somebody else, right? <laughs> That's what this experience is like going to the Pharisees. And so verse 13 again, so then they brought the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was Sabbath day and Jesus made the mud to open the eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such things, signs? And there was division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. They go to the Pharisees religious do-gooders and here the pharisees are not as bad as we think they are they wanted to do the right things like they saw their culture drifting so far away from god and had drifted for so long that they wanted to recalibrate towards the things of god but they went from one extreme to the other extreme they went from complete do whatever you want to do live as if there's no god to now only live into the laws and the rules and they miss the relationship that is rooted in understanding who our god is And so what happens is they took the rules and the laws, which were very holy and good, and they added more to them. And so they missed the relationship. Oftentimes, people who are only rule followers can sometimes miss the goodness of the relationship. Or people who want to make sure that they draw the accurate line somehow could miss the love. And so the Pharisees did. And you can see they're analyzing. Wait, wait, what happened to you? He goes, okay, I've said this so many times already. This man named Jesus, and he goes around the same story again. He goes, and now I can see. Instead of them celebrating, they're like, wait a minute, wasn't that, wasn't that on the Sabbath? And because they have all these extra laws on the Sabbath of what they could and could not do. Like, apparently you couldn't love on the Sabbath. And so though Jesus shows love, they can't see it. They have to analyze, well, what was this? What did he say? What did he do? What did he look like? What was he wearing? It's like, wait a minute. They're fact-checking, and he's like, here's the fact. Okay? I was blind. Now I see. Jesus did it but was it on the Sabbath, right? And it's like they still don't get it. Okay, when it comes to judging, um, there's a certain posture in which we all have. Um, here's a list of few things here when it comes to judging. We're usually quick. Quick to response. We're usually reactive. We don't normally regularly respond. We're above others. When you put yourself in the position of judge, you get to say who's right or wrong you get to look down your nose towards other people and essentially you're putting yourself in a position to be god and just so you know that's never worked out for anybody talking usually more than listening pretty sure of yourself and dogmatic and this happens in so many different ways as we look at people and as we judge people um, even in our hearts or in our words on our actions as opposed to what we see in christ is this loving compassion that it's slow, it's usually next to somebody. Even if that person is in what you perceive to be the wrong or in particular situation, you get near that person, you hear that person, you understand that person, you're quiet, you're listening, you're not thinking of yourself, you're fully understanding to understand where they're coming from. It's where we get the phrase to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And if you've actually ever worn somebody else's shoes that they've been wearing, it feels weird on your feet, right? And, and somebody like oh, that's nasty. Yeah, but it's a good illustration. If you put if you put your, your shoes in somebody else's sh- or your feet in somebody else's shoes, like it feels different, and you can see where they're coming from. Okay, so let me just use the feet references Which my feet. Whenever time I hear that phrase, "Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news," and it's like I love to bring the good news. My feet are far from being blessed, um, and but I have legitimate flat feet. And people say, oh, you have flat feet. And then they see me at the swimming pool. And when I get out of the pool and I walk, every imprint on my foot shows. Like, all of it. I mean, my feet are so flat, I think my ankle shows on the ground. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how it is. So if you put my shoes on, you'd be like, whoa, like this is way different. Um, the compassion should have been with this man and sitting with him is going, what has life been like for you? What do you think life will be like for you now? Were you looking to be healed? Like, how did this happen? How, do you f- how about this? What do you think about this? Do you think this is exciting? I mean, what, what was it like? What was this dude like who did this? What did you feel? I mean, like, how do you, I mean, like, it's slowing down and going, what is your life like? And not so that you can just gain from it. You go from being a journalist to going and a reporter, like, what happened? What, that's what people are doing. That's how judging is. Let me at least get all the facts it's someone who's genuinely curious. I've been married for almost 12 years. It is amazing to me when I can slow down with my wife and learn things about my wife that I did not know. And I think it's like that for, for just all human beings. People are incredible, people with incredible stories, and there's such density and a level in creating the image of God, a transcendence. And not that they're God, but something that's far deeper than we can imagine. But we, we don't like to sit in traffic of the lives of people. We want to be in the carpool lane and fly by as fast as we can. And we miss it. We miss it in the same way that we miss the things of Jesus. These guys clearly don't get it. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of uh, the parents of the man who received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was blind, born blind? How does he now see? And the parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor will we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he can speak for himself, a.k.a. he is a grown man. <laughs> now what it goes along to say is the parents said this because they're, they're afraid because it already had been said that if you were a follower of Jesus and believed that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ, then you were gonna be kicked out of the synagogue. And, and given, given the stigma of a disability in that particular day, chances are as an adult, he's, he was not even connected to his parents that much. So his parents in some ways, though very sarcastic here, they're, they're, they're actually pulled away going like, listen, we don't know who did it. We're not confessing Jesus, We, but but like, like are you sure this is your son? And then mom kind of breaks cover so and says, listen, I, yes, I know I gave birth to him and he was blind. And th- they're still questioning. They're still analyzing. No one, no one here, even his parents in some ways, it doesn't seem to show love. Well, they're not done yet, 24. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to them, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though though I was blind, now I see. And he said to him, what did he do? Or they said to him, what, what did he do? Or what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And now he's getting sick of it. He, goes, he answered them, I've told you already. <laughs> and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I love the sarcasm. <laughs> oh, y'all went in on this too, huh? Right? He goes on here and he says, and they, they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You, you do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, the blind, the blind like, look what's happening here. The Pharisees and all the religious and rules who say to be near God through this story is progressively moving further and further away from God. The man who doesn't say he knows God, seems to be drawn closer and closer to him. Or in a physical sense, you have the person, the people who claim that they can see are becoming more and more blind. And the person who says, I used to not be able to see, is having his sight restored, not just physically, but even spiritually. Like, like, like look at that. Like He encountered Jesus, doesn't really even know that he's the Messiah yet, And he's already preaching a sermon. He goes, hey, guys, you guys listen. I know you guys haven't been listening to me before, but um, don't we know that if anyone obeys God and is a worshiper of God, that God listens to him? This man, you say he's a sinner, which is interesting to me. You say he's a sinner, but he's healed me, and it seems like God's on his side. You guys seem to be for God. I mean, you should be for this man. And they flip out because people in power don't want to listen to people below them. People on top don't want to listen to those on the bottom. Judging always puts yourself at the top. Loving always puts yourself at the bottom. You can always remain curious. You can always learn and, st- have, and still have a sense of being convicted. It's not that loving means anything goes. No. True love in the Bible means loving is it's centered, in, it's centered in the person of Christ. It's not that there's no absolute truth. It's, it's absolutely truthful that I'm not the truth, but Jesus is. And sorry, guys. Verse 34. <laughs> and they answered him. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You can't be at the synagogue anymore. You can't kick it in our religious studies. You can't be at the Bible study. You can't be at the RC. You can't show up at affordable Christmas. You can't do an all-of-life interview. You can't do any of that. And it's interesting is they completely just judged this man, though this man is actually moving closer to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus heard that. They cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. For Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see and those who see may become blind. Excuse me, for judgment I came into this world, for those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So so when it comes to Jesus, when Jesus hears about this man, he moves nearer to him. Because that's what love does. And he says, do you believe in the son of man? referring to, referring to himself. And he says, I don't even know who he is. There's something about when you receive love that, the better way to say it this way, when you receive the love of God, and the more you mature in Christ, but I'm not trying to say that I'm the most mature, not even, the more you mature in Christ, the less you have to be right, and the more you can trust Jesus to be right. The less you have to win the argument, and the more you can win that Jesus Christ is going to ultimately win the world. <laughs> All right? um, one of the best lessons I learned from Tom Schrader is years ago, and this is probably more inside baseball talk than, than we'd probably want to share, but years ago, when we were at what was then East Valley Bible Church. I used to be the youth pastor there. It's now Redemption Gilbert. We had just a moment of just chaos where the church was literally people leaving the church for different reasons and whatnot. And there was a lot of slander and a lot of gossip and people hurt and everything. And I just remember I was, I was really young watching this as a young youth pastor or whatever and watching Tom through it. And our history at East Valley Bible Church, and many of you guys were there at that time, we were known as the Truth Church. We literally had shirts with a capital T that was like a special color, and we had shirts that said the truth, the, you, um, you, you know when you see people with the truth because it shows, right? And there was like we were known as being essentially the arrogant church and the church that didn't play well with others. I and mean, that was just it. Like we knew the truth and, and, and so forth. And there was a moment in Tom through all of that where it, you know, it changed where we wanted to be a church that loved. And I remember we did a series called Grace of Life, Grace for Living, and How to Love. And the people who really love being the truth church looked at it and said, He's going soft. He's going liberal. Because <laughs> somehow to be soft and liberal means to love people. <laughs> Which makes no sense. Maybe it, it looks more like Jesus. And I I remember that and remember talking talking with Tom and going, How does this change? He goes, Well, you realize you're trying to do one thing really well and be right that you've actually missed the most important thing just the love love is always right <laughs> huge um when we find ourselves in loving positions receiving the love of Christ there's something about it that humbles us that we think that we need to guard everything we do need to guard the truth and all those things but we think we need to fight for it as if God is not powerful enough to fight for himself as opposed to humbly submit and that everything that we hold out to people in loving ways is the gospel of Jesus Christ that they may receive trust and follow like that like it's not just about our knowledge right? It's about the love that we have and the knowledge that points to the love that begins reflects itself in our own lives. So that, like, Jesus moves near to this person. And this person not just receives his sight physically, but spiritually receives his sight. That he can see Jesus. And now upon receiving Jesus, that he can reciprocate, that he can mimic, that he can imitate this life of Christ. We know from reading throughout the Bible, that his disciples, who first were went from judging, are now loving. And the reason why I'm saying that, if you if you were able to read um, the gospel, or excuse me, the book of Acts in Acts chapter three, the first time they come, um, the disciples after the resurrection, meaning Jesus has now given them the new life of the Spirit, which He promised, when they come across someone who's disabled, what it says in this scripture is that they looked, and Peter, it says, he gazed his eyes upon him. There's something about being around Christ seeing the love of Christ and experiencing the love of Christ, that now they were able to love others in that same way. May it also be true of those of us 2,000 years post the resurrection who received the same outpouring and working of the Holy Spirit as did the early church, that now being with Jesus in his scripture, that being with Jesus as we are in community with others, being with Jesus in prayer, being with Jesus in these tried and true practices of our faith, that as we mimic and practice the ways of Jesus, that we may now with our eyes gaze upon the people around us, that we may be moved in compassion and emotion and the love of Christ to be able to love and serve them. Amen? This type of love cannot be manufactured on our own. Notice when you read the Gospels, Jesus is not um, saying, here's the guideline to create light. He says he is the light. Jesus is not saying, here's the guideline, the handbook for you can make a generator and you can get power. No, no, he is the power. And what I'm also trying to say is Jesus is not only an example. That would not be enough because it would be left to us to do it on our own. The type of love that God calls us to cannot be manufactured. It's only that in which we can receive through the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus and which he imparts to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when that happens, now we can mimic and we can follow the love and Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. And we confess that we don't even know what we don't know. We have no idea how we are being shaped in ways, Lord, that are making us far like the culture in which we live than the kingdom that is broken in. We confess that our eyes oftentimes are used towards judging instead of, Lord, as a first step to having love and compassion. Lord, we confess that while we we praise you as Jesus and as Lord, that oftentimes, Father, we look to other things to satisfy us. And Lord, we ask that we'd be able to humbly, in your grace, submit to you. That we would not be people who only react, but who are able to slow down and lovingly and thoughtfully, in your way, respond. God, we pray that our lives will be shaped, not just individually, but as a community of people who pour out ourselves for others because you poured out your life for us. God, equip us, train us, fill us with your love and presence that we may be sent to be your people in the various places that you send us in this world. God, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We get an opportunity to respond to God's word in just a moment. One of the guys will come lead us in a time of response. But before we do that, take take a few moments right now to consider the love of Christ for you. And in that, confess the ways in which you are not loving others or judging others, that you may confess those sins that he may forgive you, and that he may empower you to love like him.
1: So now we have the opportunity to respond to God's word, um, this message of extreme love and compassion for us. Um, and In Rare Redemption, we normally respond in four ways. First way is through singing. So Susie and the band will continue to sing. And I just invite you to sing out. Let's lift our voices as one as we uh, sing and worship in worship and praise of this God who is so deserving. Next way we respond is through prayer. So in a moment, there will be people to left and right and i just invite you to come forward if there's any reason that um, you'd like to pray with someone speak to someone whether that be um, praise or anything else come forward there'll be people at my right right and my left that would love to pray with you the next way the next couple ways that we respond is a ways that we respond as christians right and as uh, uh we think about giving right next way we respond is through giving and that's something that we do, as Ricardo says, because, because we recognize that God is the source. He is the power. He is the giver of all things. And so we freely give our resources. If you are not a Christian, um, we're not asking you for your money. We would love your questions. Um, there are connect cards in the seat backs in front of you. Fill those out. You can drop those in the offering boxes in the back, and someone will reach out to you. And uh, the last way we respond is through communion. And through communion, we remember God's body given to us. Through the wine or the juice, we remember His blood shed for us in this extreme act of love. And um, so, at this time, I would like to invite communion servers, prayer team forward, and I'd like to invite you to respond as the Spirit leads you.